If you want to turn with me to the end of your Bibles, to Revelation chapter 21, that's where we will be today in verses 1 through 5. So during the uh, Advent season, we looked at the first Advent, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrated his birth. And then last Sunday and then today, we've been talking about the second Advent, that we celebrate that Christ will come again and that he will return. Last week, Pastor Taylor preached from 1 Thessalonians about the hope that we have that believers who are united to Christ in his death and resurrection will be raised with him, that those who belong to the Lord will be with the Lord forever, and that we are destined for salvation through Christ and therefore, that we're to have a heart that desires to be ready for the return of the Lord. So today, we're going to turn to the end of the story, as it were, to Revelation 21, and look more into what happens after the second advent, after Christ comes again. So let's now go to the Word of God. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven... And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, now we pray that you would take this word uh, that you have given to us, that by your spirit you would apply it to our hearts, that you would help us this morning to see Jesus, the one who is making all things new, the author and perfecter of our faith, our Lord and Savior, and that we may rest in him, and that we may look forward with hope. We pray this in his name. Amen. So several years ago, there was a study done by a professor and a doctoral student at the University of California in San Diego. And in this study, they interviewed 300 people who had read 12 different short stories. These short stories included mysteries and Tales with surprise endings. And they were to rate the stories on a scale of 1 to 10. And what they found was almost without fail, by a large margin, the readers rated the story higher if the researchers had inserted copy near the beginning that gave away how the stories would actually end. The professor said in summarizing the research, it's as if knowing things about the ending puts you in a position that gives you certain advantages to understand the plot. And so all these people got the end of the story given away to them, and they liked it. It's kind of like when I watched the reruns of Clemson winning football games. 
You know, if you know, if you know they're going to win, it makes it better. And so today we've kind of done the same thing. We've skipped ahead to the end of the story, as it were, to Revelation chapter 21. But this is the end of the greatest, truest story ever told. And we have the privilege of seeing how it ends ahead of time. And so we wanted to ask the question similar to what the researchers asked out in San Diego many years ago. How does knowing the end of the story help us as we are living in the middle of it? How does knowing the end give us hope now? What does it look like for us to live in anticipation of what we've just read in Revelation 21? And so as we talk about those questions today, we're going to first examine this text before us, and we want to see what's actually taking place at the end of the greatest, truest story ever told and recorded. And so we see in verses 1 and 2 that God gives his people a new place to dwell. There's a new place for us to dwell and to live. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. First, we see in verses 1 and 2 that at the end, there will be a new place to dwell for God's people. The Apostle John, he sees a new heaven. He sees a new earth. He sees a, a new Jerusalem, the holy city, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And there's a lot going on there. And as soon as you start to maybe, I don't know, slightly wrap your brain around, hey, a new heaven. Then there's a new earth. And then there's a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God in all this splendor. But this is not the first time we've heard about such a thing in the scriptures. In Isaiah 65 and 66, which we'll read a little bit of later in the, the sermon, we hear of God saying that he will create a new heavens and a new earth. What will this new heavens and new earth be like? Well, I encourage you to keep reading in Revelation. It tells us some stuff there. And we'll see some of that as we go through this sermon. But one thing to keep in mind is that the end of Revelation is full of parallels to God's original creation work in Genesis. And to think that that work was good, as God said it was, even very good, as God said of the creation of man. And imagine if that was good and very good. What will this be like when God does it again? The new heavens and the new earth. One of the things that he says will be a part of it here is the new Jerusalem, the holy city. Now, this new Jerusalem is not just kind of a fancy update of the old Jerusalem. This is actually a reference to the church, to the people of God, who throughout the scriptures have been called a city, who have been called a bride. And we see here that in the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the church, will come down out of heaven from God and that God will dwell with his people forever. One commentator, William Hendrickson, says, in regard to the church now and the church in the future, he says that the church is always born from above. And this is the culmination of all God's redemptive work throughout history and time. And then we see here that wonderful imagery that we cite so often that the church is prepared like a bride. And I tell you, with this bride, everything 
is just right. As she's prepared because God has made it so. And in that new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem, his bride, the people of God, the church will dwell with him. Now, although this is going to be new, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. What we see here is based on something very old, on the promise that God has made in the past, being fulfilled now to its fullest here in Revelation 21. And so we read this in verse 3 as we consider this old promise fulfilled to its fullest. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So not only will we have this amazing new place to dwell, God himself will be dwelling with us. There are other times in scripture where we've seen God dwelling with us. We consider the Old Testament, we think back to the tabernacle, where God would come and dwell with his people and he would fill the tabernacle with his glory. We just focused during the Advent time on John chapter 1, where it said the word made flesh, Jesus, he came and made his dwelling among us. And then we see here in Revelation 21, at the end of all things, here is God once again, making his home, making his dwelling with his people. And this is not a time for fuzzy speculation here or anything like that, but imagine for a moment that if the new place promised in verse 1 and 2 was without the presence of the God who made it. I'm sure it would be a, a nice place. Probably look good, maybe. But we see here, and what we see throughout the scriptures, that it is the presence of God himself with us for eternity in this new place that he will provide that fills the new heavens and fills the new earth and fills the new city with his glory and power and love as he comes to dwell with his people. And what's incredible here is that this, God dwelling with his people, is the full fulfillment of an old promise that goes way back, that God has made to his people. Earlier in the service in the scripture reading, we highlighted some of these, didn't we? Genesis 17 Way back toward the beginning, God calls Abraham. He promises to make him into a great people. He establishes a covenant with him and with his offspring after him to be God to him and to his offspring. And then he says, at the end, he'll give all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Later, after he's given his people the law, We see it in Leviticus. We see it in Exodus and other places. He says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you and I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. In Ezekiel, again, my dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then finally in the prophet Jeremiah, it ends the same way, doesn't it? I will be their God and they shall be my people. This promise runs throughout the whole of the scriptures, all through the Old Testament, and we see it renewed time and time again, even through the wanderings and the rebellion of God's people. 
And as we consider what we've just celebrated, the incarnation, that God came in the flesh, death of Jesus, it was said in Matthew 1, as the angel appeared to Joseph, that behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus himself, later in John 14, says he's going to come again. And he's going to take us to himself that where I am, you may be also. And then as Jesus gives the great commission before he returns to heaven, he says, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us, always to the end. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the old promise fulfilled to its fullest here in Revelation. So let's pause here and think through a few of the implications of this. First thing we want to say is that God has always been with us. He came in the flesh to dwell with us, to live and to die for us. His Holy Spirit lives in his people. The promise here in Revelation 21 is this promise fulfilled to its fullest, as it were, is we will be with God triune for eternity. Is God with us now? Absolutely. Revelation holds in front of us a future of God's presence with his people. And I couldn't figure out how to say this, so I'm just going to throw this out there. More presence, more of God, that we will be with him unhindered, unrestrained by sin, by evil, by the things of this fallen world. And we will be in the presence of God forever. And so what we have now is a preview of something that one day will astonish us beyond all measure. Another implication here we want to consider is that in Genesis, after the fall of man, the first reaction of man was to run and to hide from God and to not be in his presence. But here in the new creation, man, having been redeemed through the work of Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, through his victory over sin and over death, has been restored into a right relationship with God. And so therefore can live in the presence of God for eternity. In Christ, our sin, our guilt, our shame, our hiding, it is fully forgiven. Because he has done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation from beginning to end. And we are fully restored. And so we can look at this passage and we can say, that's us. That God will dwell with us again because of all that he has done for us. And he will bring us there. Another implication to think about is to remember that the new Jerusalem, the church, it comes down out of heaven from God. The incarnation that we celebrated at Advent and at Christmas is, you know, God came down to us to rescue us, to save us from our sins. See, humanity and its fallenness constantly wants to build its own towers of, of Babel, right? 
wants to construct the ladder that's going to take us to the top, that maybe wants to even get our own version of a new earth out there, right? One that, that we can make uh, with all the things that we like. But friends, don't fall for it. Don't fall for the trap that's set by this world. Because we see here that this new heaven, that this new earth, that this new Jerusalem, that this is something that only God can do. It comes from him, and he has to bring it down to us. Verse 4, here in this passage, reminds us of the effects of God's presence and promises being fulfilled. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither there shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So here we see echoes. We hear echoes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 35 and 51. There's a verse that appears in both places. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah 65, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and cry of distress. So friends, this passage we have this morning, it tells us death shall be no more. Mourning because of sin, because of death, shall be no more. Crying shall be no more. Pain shall be no more. Tears shall be no more. And it is hard for us to fathom that at this moment, isn't it? This world is broken by the fall. At every turn is tainted by sin. Sickness, sorrow, pain, and death. The things that will be no more, we, we feel them now. And perhaps we fear them now. Romans 8 tells us that we are inwardly groaning. And it's not just me and it's not just you. It's all creation that's groaning, waiting for the redemption that is to come. But when it does come, as we see here, we will have God himself dwelling with us in the new place with all his people from all times and places. We will have God with us. But there are things that we will not have. We will not have evil. And we will not have sin. And we will not have suffering. And we will not have sickness. And we will not have disorders. And we will not have death. Because God is making all things new. So he's promised us a new place. He's fulfilling an old promise to his fullest that he will be our God and we will be his people. And then we see here in verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. One of the helpful uh, things that we've learned over the years uh, from various theologians uh, is this concept in the scriptures 
of that which is called the already and the not yet, or the now and the not yet. That there are spiritual realities and benefits for God's people that we have now, at least in part, yet we don't have them as we will have them in full in the new heavens and the new earth. And one of these is the reality that God is making all things new. In Revelation 21, in reflecting on it, one commentator put it this way, that I am making everything new, of course, refers primarily to the final renewing of all things at the end. But the present tense is used, and it's worth reflecting that God continually makes things new, even here and now. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us this in chapter 3, that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then he goes on in chapter 4, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what a wonderful memory verse for today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, he is making all things new. As we just read, that includes me. (laughs) That includes you. That includes all who are united to Christ by faith, that we are being transformed, that we are being renewed day after day after day. We are a new creation in Christ. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. So we circle back to the original question, well, what do we do with that? How do we live now that we know the end of the story? Well, Revelation, like many other New Testament books, came to the Apostle John at a time of tremendous persecution and trial for the church. Obviously, the book of Revelation is one of the most difficult of all the books of Scripture to understand, particularly if you get into all the various details of it. And it's one where we certainly would do well to carefully evaluate our tendency to speculate, right? But at the same time, this book is as crystal clear as it gets. And it was given to us to boost our faith and hope in Christ in times of trouble. And there's no misunderstanding the main point of this book. That our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the lamb who is worthy. And he was the lamb who was slain for us. And he is the Lord victorious over sin and over death and over evil and over all the things that the fall has brought. And he is restoring and making all things new and preparing for us a place where God will dwell with us forever. And it's very clear that this new heaven this, this new earth, this new city will be filled with all things new and it will be filled with the glory of God for all eternity. John Piper uh, once famously said that nobody goes to the Grand Canyon to increase his self-esteem. 
And he goes on to say, because on the edge of the Grand Canyon, as you feel your soul being drawn out into this vast opening, that's not what happens. What happens is wonder and awe, which is what you were made for. Heaven will not be a hall of mirrors in which you like what you see. And that has always stuck out to me ever since I read that book. How many ever years ago? I won't say because I'll tell you how old I am. But the heaven will not be a hall of mirrors because we'll be looking to the one who made all things new. We'll be surrounded by the glory of God. We will be dwelling in the presence of God himself. So friends, today, put not your hope in the latest trend. Put not your hope in the Planet Fitness commercial that came on right before midnight the other night, right? Put not your hope in your New, res- New Year's resolution. And don't put your hope in what you see in the mirror. But put your hope in the one who makes all things new. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And prepare now for living in the new heavens and the new earth. For dwelling with him by worshiping and praising him now. And being with his people now. And being in his word now. Prepare for being the new Jerusalem by being the church now. Proclaiming the good news in word and in deed. Loving your neighbor and the nations. Pointing others to Christ. Serving sacrificially. Living for his glory. Because that is where we're headed. By his grace. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you have given us this passage to give us hope, to strengthen our faith, to help us to trust in you in the here and now. And we thank you that we can look forward to that which is beyond what we can even see now and that is beyond what we can comprehend or imagine, but that we can look forward with anticipation and excitement to that which you will do and that we will be in your presence forever. Lord, comfort us with that today. Strengthen us with that. May we grow in your grace, and may we, uh, this week, be reminded uh, again and again of the good news of your love for us. And we rejoice and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.